We're so glad that you're taking time to listen to this week's message from Bethel Worship Center. Uh, we pray that it blesses you wherever you are in your faith journey. Uh, we do want to let you know that we are open. Our campus is open. Uh, we invite you to go to bwccamden.com. Uh, you can find out everything that we're offering right now at this time and in this season. So make sure to, to, to go there and find the ways that you can stay up to date with everything happening at Bethel Worship Center. But again, uh, wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you are uh, exploring more about faith, learning who Jesus is, learning about God, uh, you're new in your walk with Jesus Christ, or you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, we pray that today's message blesses you, it encourages you, it equips you. So God bless you. Thank you again for taking part. Maybe you've heard the phrase, for Pete's sake, before. You ever heard that? You ever said that? For Pete's sake. And usually it's used just like that. It's used out of frustration. I went to look to try to see and determine where does this come from. The only thing I could find is that it was actually instead of, people said instead of using for Christ's sake or for God's sake, they said it would be less offensive if we shortened St. Peter's name and we say for Pete's sake. So it would be less offensive than coming across as for Christ's sake, for God's sake. But, so I'm, uh, but when you look at something, when something's done for someone's sake, it's typically for, by definition, meant to be for the benefit of or for the purpose of that person for whom's sake it's being done. So I'm not, I couldn't find, I'm not quite exactly sure why it became a source of frustration for Pete's sake and, and however else it was said. But um, if we're honest, you know, most of the things we do in our life, it's for our own sake. We do it for our sake. We do it for ourselves, to benefit ourselves. Um, And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing something for yourself and taking care of yourself. I mean, Jesus even said that we love our neighbors, but we love our neighbor how? As we love ourselves. So there's a part of that, that that's okay. You need to love yourself. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your family. But we're also called to consider others over ourselves and to live this life for the benefit of others as well. And this morning, I want to take the opportunity to kind of lay out for whose sake we, as a body and as followers of Jesus Christ, should be living our life. Now, as we also kind of begin this journey together with me transitioning in as the lead pastor at Bethel, I want to kind of I guess, introduce or reintroduce myself to some of you real briefly. Um, Because you may, some of you, you know me well. Some of you, you've known me for a long time. Some of you, we are blood. We are family, right? Um, Some of you, you've known me for a short while. You've been getting to know me. Some of you have no idea who I am. If you're new, this is your first time seeing me up here, and you're kind of coming in, and you're like, what in the world is going on? There's a new lead pastor. We are making that transition. And it's still kind of surreal for me to be thinking about that, that I'm transitioning into that place and that position. But I want to take you along kind of just real brief, real quick, my journey towards that. You may not realize, you may not know, I grew up in this church. This church has been my church basically for all of my life. I've only been away from Bethel Worship Center for six years of my life. So I grew up here. I brought some images just to show you and kind of give you an idea. There's me on the left. Uh, and that is me as a, to- as a young child over in one of those education classes, in one of those children's classes. And 
you probably you may know who those other two are standing beside me. I won't call their name, but I see Dad shaking his head yes over there. He knows who it is. But that's me as a child. But I did. I grew up in this church. I've, I've got another one. I, we used to do field days here. Uh, and we would uh, have all kind of activities on campus. There's me, sporting the mullet. Um, my, my oldest boy said, Dad, you had a mullet? I said, yeah, son. I'm, I was cool before cool was cool. I mean, I... I mean, you know, so that's me probably kicking butt, setting records in one of the field day events. Maybe you recognize that gentleman standing back there in the background, Mr. Bernie Cobb. He's sitting right over there, but that's him there. So I've been been here a while, and here's another one that that I think I have. My family, uh, my family have lived in Camden and Lugoff area for all my, so we would have a majority of my family is right here from this area. So our family reunions, we would have right here at Bethel. That's in the gym. That's my family. Before we moved in him, before we remodeled and had services in there, we had services in the gym. That's when we outgrew the, uh, the church beside the brick small fellowship building, we moved into the gym and had services there. That's the stage uh, for the services. But that's my brother to my right, his wife to my left. She might kill me for putting this picture up there. Uh, my mom and dad behind me and that little smiling baby sitting on my knee. That's a young man by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan Proctor. If you know him, he ushers here. He works at Powers Funeral Home. That's my nephew. Some of you think that's my brother. That's my nephew. Some of you guys, some of you think that that guy on my right is my dad. He hates that. That's my brother. Um, He actually pastors over at New Life in Lugoff. But um, but I've been here. And then in 1992, Pastor Casey came to be the youth pastor. That was, I was going into my sophomore year of high school uh, at that time. And so Pastor Casey came in, and so I became an active part of uh, the youth ministry with Pastor Casey. Here's another picture of us. On a, we're on a, a trip. That's me in the passenger seat. That's where I usually sit. That guy behind me pointing is Kyle Hewitt. You may know who that is. Um, my guess is we're probably playing a joke on Pastor Casey at that point in time because we did that a lot. And then I also participated with Pastor Casey in some dramas, and we did this thing called Teen Talent, and that's me and Pastor Donna and Darlene's son, Damon, doing Teen Talent as an event. So I've been a part of this church for a long time, but I graduated high school in 1995. I went to college at Emmanuel College in Georgia. That's where Pastor Casey and Miss Judy went to school. I went there because I did feel like there was some kind of call to ministry on my life, you know? And so I went, and as I was there, I I felt like youth ministry was, was where God was leading me. The summer between my junior and senior year, I took an internship at a church in Columbia with a guy who was really good friends with Pastor Casey. They were friends in college together. Um, And so I took an internship there during that, during that summer. In my senior year, he called me, Terry Louder is his name. He called me and asked, would I be willing to come back and work for them? I couldn't do it He said, it can't be full-time. It would have to be part-time. And I agreed. I said, sure, I'll come back. I'll do that. And so I went back to Columbia after I graduated college in 99. And I I was with Terry for two years at uh, at the church there. But after I had been there for just a little while, you know, I had so much vision for youth ministry and things that I wanted to do. I began to pray. I began to fast. And I began to ask God, God, you know all the vision that's in my heart and the things that I desire to do with youth ministry and the things I want to do. And I just working full time and, and doing this. I can't do everything I want to do. I can't give myself fully to it the way I want to do it. So God, I just ask that if you would allow me 
to have an opportunity to open up. I would love for it to be at this church. If not this church, God, take me to where I need to be or where you want me to be. Well, we would, uh, we would do these prayer nights at churches in our denomination around in different areas. And um, one of those nights we came to Bethel. And so me and Terry, we got in the car, we came to Bethel for that night. And typically on those nights, the pastor, who at that time was Pastor Don, got up, they would give three different needs that they would like for the other pastors in the, on that night to help them pray over. Well, one of the three things that Pastor Don mentioned was that Pastor Casey was in the place where they wanted him to transition out of youth ministry into an associate role here at the church. And so they said, please help us pray that God would bring us the youth pastor that he needs for us right here at Bethel. Now, listen, when I graduated in 95 and I left Camden, I thought I was leaving for good. I had no intention, no desire to come back to here. Not that I don't like the place. I I love here. I love the people I was around, but I just thought God was going to take me somewhere else. You know, I'm going to the big city and that was just starting in Columbia, right? So I came and I'm here and typically on those nights, what would happen is the lady that would lead those prayer nights, she would ask someone to always come and stand in place of a need. And I knew that she was going to do that. I knew that was going to happen. So I'm sitting somewhere in this middle section. I'm saying, God, don't you dare let her call me up there to stand in the place of that youth pastor. Don't do it. I don't, don't, don't. And sure enough, she goes, Javen, why don't you come stand right here in the place of the youth pastor? And I said, you dog. And so I came <laughs> and I stood in that spot and God just broke me. I was fighting it. I had been praying, God, open a door. Now God's opening the door and I'm saying, shut it, shut it quick. <laughs> but he was working in me. And he wasn't going to let that happen. I went home that night from this prayer night and I get a phone call and it was Pastor Casey. And I said, what? <laughs> on the way home, let me say this. Pastor Terry said to me, he said, what was going on with you tonight, bud? And I just said, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I knew, but I, I, I didn't want to say to him. So Casey calls me and we were talking. He says, Javen, you know, me and Pastor Don have been praying for a while now, specifically over you, that God would move you back to Bethel and that you would secede me as the youth pastor. And I said, well, I hate you. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I, I said, well, man, I, I appreciate it. I just never saw my journey going back there. Not that I don't love you guys, but let me pray about it. So Got off the phone with him. So, of course, my prayer started going to there. I went and talked to Terry about a week or so later. <clears throat> and I told him, I said, you, you asked me what was going on. I said, well, this is what was going on. And he kind of smiled and he said, well, Javen, he said, you know, the church at that time, it wasn't a very large church. It was barely supporting Pastor Terry as the head pastor. And uh, he said, Javen, I've had an opportunity come up for me to go to Oklahoma and to work out in Oklahoma. But I've been praying that God would do something for you because I knew that you didn't want to be the pastor of a church right now. And I didn't want to leave and leave you stranded in a situation that wasn't good. 
So I've been praying for God to work something for you. And again, I broke. I said, man, you stink. So no, I'm just kidding. So, so God just began to orchestrate and move me without a doubt. And I couldn't deny it back here to Bethel. And I served in the youth pastor role for 10 years. And then when Pastor Don retired, Pastor Casey took the associate and God just worked it out that the timing was right for me to transition. It wasn't long after I moved back here that one day I took the deposit, the first Palmetto Bank in Camden for the church. And I saw this young lady standing behind the teller counter and those lights from heaven just kind of opened up over her and angels started singing choruses. And I said, I looked at someone I knew who worked there and I said, who, who, who is that? They said, her name is Jenny. She's a godly woman. She, and she's going to Presbyterian college. She's, she's uh, almost done with Presbyterian college, but she's just here working during the summer. I said, I want to know Jenny. <laughs> so we went out for lunch date, and then we started getting to know each other. And then two years later, we got married. And we've been married now for 18 years. Of the 20 years that I've been here back on staff, but we had kids. And so I just felt like God was transitioning me 10 years in. And so I moved into the associate role. And then about four or five years, six years into that associate role, I really felt like God stirring me that I, I, that I felt like he wanted to use me in this kind of capacity. So I began to pray, God, whatever your will, I want you to do. Because I never wanted to push Pastor Casey out of any kind of position in any place. I never wanted him to feel like I was doing that. So I talked to him. He knew my heart. I applied a place. I talked to some other people, but nothing ever opened. And I just said, God, I'm trusting your timing. And then Pastor Casey came and talked to me a year or so ago and told me what he felt like God was doing in them. And then in February of this year, he came and sat across my desk and he said, the time is now. It was right after we both had got done with COVID. So I don't know if COVID had something to do with this time being, uh, I don't know. But in February, he told me the time is now. And so I went home and told Jenny and we started praying and said, God, we've been trusting you. And so that's where my journey has brought me. But I know that my purpose or the purpose for me being at Bethel, it's not for me and it's not for my sake. The purpose is for something bigger. You know, every organization has a purpose statement. Every organization has a purpose statement they put out for what they're here for. Just for, just for fun, I just want to show you some. I want to see if you can think you know who these are. To be Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find any Find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Maybe the online gives that away. Maybe you know who that is. Who is that? It's Amazon. You got it. You were all saying it. All right, the next one, you probably know it too. We, serve, we save people money so they can live better. Maybe you've heard that. I think I heard it said, who is it? Walmart. The next one, maybe you'll get, I don't know. This one is to organize the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful. Hey, What is it? Someone said it. They knew it. And here's one. I bet this one will stump you. Let's look at the next one. To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness, to create value and make a difference. 
I think I might've heard somebody say it. Who is it? It is Coke. Yeah, Coke to make moments of optimism and happiness. I don't know about you, but when I drink Coke, I'm happy. But that's, but they're, they're creating something that's bigger than what appears. One more. I want to show this one to see lives transformed by the grace and love of Jesus and for them to become catalysts of transformation in our community. Hopefully you know who that is. It's Bethel Worship Center. See, our purpose is that we know that there are a lot of people in our county who don't go to church. There's a lot of people in our county that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in our county that are hurting in their life. Some of them won't admit it, but they're hurting. They don't feel purpose. They don't feel fulfillment in their life. And we know we are not here as a church, as one of the church bodies, or one of the bodies as a part of the church of God. We're not here in this community to commit, to compete with other churches for members. That's not why we exist. We're here to fight the enemy for souls. That's why we're here. And we know that nobody is perfect and no one has arrived. But what we want to do is we want to journey together from where we are, each one of us individually, to where God wants us to be. We're not here to entertain masses. As Pastor Casey has said before, we're not here to be a social club, to be a place for people to hang out. We're here for a purpose, for the sake of something greater than ourselves. And the purpose that we are here for, there is so much at stake. I want us to look this morning as we kind of begin this journey together at the early church. And you can go to Acts chapter 4 because we're going to look at a passage of scripture from there. Apply it to our life and then go celebrate two lives today. Amen. But where we are in Acts chapter four, just to give you a background, just to give you a setup. And just before this, Luke is writing the book of Acts. Luke, uh, who was a doctor, a physician. He also wrote the gospel of Luke and told us from the, the story of Jesus. And then the Acts is the sequel to his gospel of Luke, telling us the story of the early church and the birth of it. And in Acts chapter two, we kind of, we see where the early, the apostles and many believers were praying and The Holy Spirit descended upon them. They began to speak in all these different tongues that was not their native tongue. And other people started to hear their native language being spoken by people that weren't from their area. And they're wondering what's going on. Peter saw an opportunity and he began to preach the name of Jesus. And it says that 3,000 people gave their life to Christ that day. And then in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John walking and going to the temple to participate in a time of prayer as was customary for the Jews. And they were going just to participate in that, but they saw a lame man, which was not out of the ordinary, sitting outside of the temple begging. This happened all the time. But Peter and John stopped and Peter, they looked at this man and they noticed him. They took time with him. And then Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this man did that. Luke, who is a doctor, wanted to point out that this paralyzed man was all of a sudden healed and he began to walk. And so obviously people took notice of this. And so Peter saw another opportunity in front of him and he began to preach the name of Jesus. 
to those around him. But not everybody liked what he was preaching. And that's where we are in Acts chapter 4. And so this is where we jump in in verse 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail and the next day, uh, until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew at that point to 5,000. And then the next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And basically what they're saying is none of us gave you permission to do this. So under whose permission and under whose authority are you acting? Because in their eyes, there's no other authority other than themselves who should be delegating. And so then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. I love this. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a cripple, and asked how he was healed. In other words, Peter was kind of saying, are you seriously wasting everybody's time because we did something good for someone else? And then he says this. Then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. This man stands before you healed, bold. He's the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. In other words, he's telling them, look, you're trying to build something. But the one upon whom you should be building, you just rejected. But no matter whether you rejected him or not, he's still the cornerstone for which the church is going to be built. Not any of your names. And then Peter says this, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. In other words, again, what they meant was these guys didn't sit at their feet and be trained and taught. Because that's how a rabbi was raised. He was raised by another rabbi. They weren't weren't under them. So they were amazed at how bold and eloquently they spoke. They were astonished. They took note. These guys have been with Jesus. I guarantee you they were terrified in that moment because they tried to put an end to what Jesus was doing by killing Jesus. But they're realizing in that moment, it didn't work. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. There was no denying a lame beggar was now healed walking around and praising God. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. 
What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've, what they've done. It's an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any farther among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And I don't think he was speaking pridefully there. I really think he was being humble and saying, we understand that you have the authority to do to us what you want to do to us. So you be the judge and you make that decision. But your authority to do to us what you can do to us is not going to change what we are going to do. Because Jesus Christ has called us. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. We cannot help but speak the fact that we sat under the teaching of Jesus, the one who proclaimed to be God. We heard him teach. Our lives were transformed by his teaching. And then not only that, we saw him crucified by your ruling on a cross. But then he came back to us, resurrected, showing us the holes in his hands and his feet, the pierced hole in his side, We saw it. We have seen the resurrected Jesus. So we know that we have to be under your authority on this land, but it's not going to change what we preach because we are under the authority of our souls under the authority of Jesus Christ. This is how Peter and the early apostles and the apostles in the early church acted. They acted for the sake of the gospel. What did Peter say in Chapter 4, verse 12, he said, There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. No other name. Only the name of Jesus. So see, they were not in trouble because they privately believed in Jesus. They were in trouble because they confessed it publicly, convinced thousands of other people to believe it, and then looked at those in authority and told them, you're dead wrong about what you believe. And you're going to be held accountable for it one day. That's why they were in trouble. But they knew they had to make the proclamation for the sake of the gospel. That's what they were called to do. The early, the apostles, Peter, John, these guys, they, they had a boldness And they acted with a sense of urgency. And they acted with a humble tenacity. They did it all for the sake of the gospel. But they did it also for the sake of their community. They knew that their community misunderstood what was going on. They misunderstood Jesus. They didn't understand everything that that had happened. They may have been a part of the crowds that were standing there yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But the, the disciples knew, the apostles knew that wasn't the end of the story. The story was just beginning. So their purpose was far greater. And they knew that to see the transformation in their community, they had to see transformation within those in their community. So they did what they did for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the community. And they also did what they did for the sake of one. 
Peter and John, when they passed that lame beggar, they probably remembered the story of the uh, good Samaritan that Jesus shared when he talked about a person that had been beaten and left on the side of the road. And they remembered in that story, there was a priest and a Levite who walked across on the other side when they were going to do their priestly and Levite duties, ignoring the need that was in front of them. Peter and John on their way to the temple to pray that day said, we might be going to a prayer time at church, but we can't ignore the need that's right in front of us right now. And they paused and they took the time to notice this man, to speak to this man and offer him the hope of Jesus. They did that because they knew they had to do it for the sake of each individual one they had the opportunity to do it for. And they did it for the sake of the church. The disciples knew that the church was God's plan to profess and proclaim the name of Jesus. Jesus had told them that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So the church was important to Jesus. The church was important to the disciples and it was important to every early follower of Jesus Christ because that was God's plan. So they did what they did for the sake of the church, for the sake of the one they would cross, for the sake of the community they were in, for the sake of the gospel. In my heart, and the the pastors on staff of this church, our heart, our desire, we envision a church of disciple-making disciples. What Jesus has called us to do, a church of disciple-making disciples who impact the world around us with love and service that is magnetic and contagious. Why? Because our purpose is to see lives transformed by his grace and them to become catalysts for transformation in our community. And I pray, we pray that we do this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the one, for the sake of the church. Listen, the the, the world around us is just like that lame beggar. The world is lame. And I don't mean lame in the sense of uncool. The church is lame because they are crippled, they're hurting, Their purpose, their joy, their fulfillment in life is missing. It's lame, it's crippled. And they're outside of the temple. They're outside of the presence of God. And we have within us the only thing that's going to bring them full, complete joy in life and purpose. And that is Jesus Christ, the only hope. The one who would bring life, life abundantly to them. And and knowing that we've got three choices to make in our life, we can either deny it, which I I hope and don't think maybe anybody in the room or online, hopefully maybe if you're a part of this today is doing, denying the fact that Jesus is the only way. And you're allowing yourself to, to happen what Paul warned Timothy would happen, that every teaching would tickle your ears. And you would grab on to different things and say, well, Jesus isn't the only way. You got this too, you got this too. So some of us make the, some make the choice to deny. Some make the choice to ignore. And we might be more prone to fall into this, sometimes unintentionally, where we ignore the fact that we are called to proclaim the gospel and to share the gospel with our life. Because we say we take it for ourselves, but then we don't ever let it work through us for his purposes. So we kind of, we, we give it lip service, but we don't act on it. And so unintentionally, even maybe we're ignoring it, but hopefully what we do is we embrace it 
And our prayers aren't just, God, if there's something you would have me to do, then show me that and use me. Our prayers become like the prophet Isaiah and say, here I am, send me. In other words, I am available. Take me, use me. And it's not going to look the same for all of us. Everybody's not, God's not going to use everybody as a pastor. God's not going to use everybody as a missionary. God can use you exactly where he places you, where he's gifted you, where he's called you. And whatever avenue or place that he has put you as a career or whatever it is, he can work through you and use you. It's just our goal to say, God, I recognize that. And what I want to do for you, God, let it be for the sake of the gospel. But let it be also for the sake of the community. There's an article that I noticed that said that the church has been typecast. For many, the role we play in society is one of an antagonist to progress. In other words, what the world sees of a church is they see a place and a group of people who are known more for what they're against than what they're for. And so that's why a couple months ago we made these shirts and we've started putting them out. But we don't want them to be just a shirt we have and we get to wear. We want people to know that we as Bethel Worship Center, as a part of the whole body of Christ, we're for you. We love you. We want to see your life be fulfilled. We may not agree with everything. We may not agree with every agenda, but there's this fading truth in society that needs to to turn. And many people are seeing this is you can disagree with people and still love them. So we love the people in our community and we want to reach them. So yeah, the the church has become uh, typecast as antagonist for progress. But what we should be known for is the healing and transformation that we bring to the community. That's what we should be known for. Yes, there's times when we may have to, to speak something and say something that might be unpopular. We do it for the sake of the gospel, but we never do it without there being a massive outpouring of love and healing for the sake of the community. We do what we do for the sake of the community and we do it for the sake of the one. You know, we want to see transformation in our community through the gospel. And that happens when we reach out to one. Yeah, we want to make a huge impact. But notice what happened here with Peter and John. Several thousand came to know Jesus But it happened after they spent time with how many? One. You never know the impact the one can make. I heard it. I heard the statement made one time and it stuck with me and I hope it sticks with you today. And it was this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You know, you may have a heart and a desire to do for so many people and to help in so many big ways, but start with one. Who is one? Who who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into? Who are you simply listening to? And just sitting across from and letting them pour their life out to you. We share the gospel with love to see one life changed, to see our community changed. 
to see the church continue to grow and make an impact. Jesus didn't build his church to just be brick and mortar. We have that. This building is not the church. This building is a place that a part of God's church gathers and worships. We've made this statement before. Somewhere along the way, the church that Jesus or that that is referenced all throughout the New Testament is a word called ecclesia, which means a movement, a living organism with a purpose and a mission. But somewhere along the way, it changed to the German word kirsch, which just means a building or a place to gather. But we are a part of a movement, a small part, a fraction. But everything we do for the sake of the one, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the gospel, is for the sake of the church that Jesus built and that one day he will return So God brought me back to Bethel 20 years ago. It's hard to believe. I wasn't this gray-haired 20 years ago. But he brought me back here 20 years ago for a purpose. But it's not just for me. It's not just for my sake. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God has brought you to Bethel for a purpose. And I know that God is going to continue to bring people to Bethel for a purpose, for something bigger than ourselves. And I pray that as we live out this, 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 where we envision a church of disciple-making disciples that impact our world with love and service that is magnetic and contagious. Why? To see lives transform, to become catalysts for transformation in our community. We do it all for the sake of the one that we have time to spend with, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his church that he will one day return for. So my heart and my request today is that going forward that you join myself and this staff in doing just that. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for this this day. We thank you for this time together. God, we do, we are so grateful for Jesus Christ and for the life that he gave for us. And we pray today, God, that we would live our life for him and for his name. We ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us in the same way that you empowered Peter, John, and the early church to be your witnesses, to share the name of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Father, as you lead us to do that in love and in humble service to those around us, God, we know that we're going to see you transform lives. As you have been doing, you're going to continue to do. To see individuals transformed, to see our community changed for your glory.
And the gospel of Jesus Christ will shine bright through our heart and through our life. God, thank you for calling us here. Thank you for placing us here. And we ask, God, that you would use us. Father, today in this moment, as Isaiah said, I make this proclamation. I pray that others make it today. God, here I am. Here I am right here in this place in Camden, South Carolina, the Midlands of our state. And God, I say, I make myself available. Use me for you, for your glory. And Father, I pray that you'll continue to show us exactly what you would want us to do. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' mighty name. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.